Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew 24, verses 36 through 44. But concerning that day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in part of the night a thief were coming, he would have stayed awake and would have not left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. You know, when I think about read- readiness, I've been trying to think about what does it mean to be ready? Scripture implores us to be ready, to be prepared. I was taken back to a memory from when I was about 10 or 11. And uh, my dad uh, realized it and just one, among his many gifts and the things that he was able to do, being a cowboy was not really one of them. He was a great cattleman and a great ag producer, but he knew, I think, that young Ryan wanted to be a cowboy. That's all I wanted to do. And so he thought, you know, who can I send this kid with that can show him, you know, why that's really not what you want to do when you grow up. Um, and so, but, so he would send me, and I remember Gary Lewis, who just passed away this last year, was one, I was nine or 10, and then 11, it was some other guys. But they, they said, well, you know, Gary Lewis is going to come pick you up, Ryan. He's going to be here at five o'clock. And this was kind of on winter break. And so, uh, you know, I was all bundled up and ready to go and going to go check wheat pasture cattle. And so at, at mom and dad's, there's these two, entryway windows and then there's a windowsill and each one that's about the height of a 10 year old waist and so I would sit in that windowsill and I would just watch for those headlights you know and I'd sit there and I'd look at my watch and I'd think gosh is he late is he forget about me you know because I knew if he pulled up and I wasn't ready he was gonna he had to go on to work so I knew I had a window of opportunity so I would wake up early and uh, it's funny to hear them tell the story now. I mean, I would just stare out the window and, and just wait. I did not want to miss out on what was going to happen that day. So that was, that's what I think of, just that, that childlike anticipation that I wanted to go. I wanted to go. I wanted to go have an adventure that day, and I didn't want to be left at home. So what does it mean to be ready? And sometimes in the church or in Christianity, we think of readiness, especially when we associate it with the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and all his glory to judge the living and the dead. We think of some kind of revivalistic, apocalyptic, let's get everybody saved a lot of times. You know, it's like you don't want to get you don't want to get stuck in the wrong place. I remember when I was a teenager, uh, I went with our youth group to this rally. I don't even remember where it was. 
And I just remember there was a slogan and everybody said, you know, pack your bags because Jesus is coming. And I was like, where are we going? Where are we packing our bags? I didn't understand. I was like, but I just remember they were very angry about what they were talking about. And you got to get saved now and you got to oh, whatever. And I was like, I don't have a suitcase and I'm not mad. I thought this was supposed to be. Anyways, I was confused. And, uh, and I think a lot of times we, that's the climate that we talk about readiness in as well. You just got to, it's all about this one moment. And we got to get right, you know, get saved, get right with God. Let's do it. And then, then, you, then you won't get caught. You won't be left out in the dark, whatever. We focus on one moment. Another thing that we do sometimes when we kind of increase anxiety like this is we'll, we'll, you'll see people looking for clues. You know, it'd be the, the clue seekers. And when G, well, we know when Jesus is going to come back because it's going to, you know, this all lines up and boy, it's never been as bad as it is now. And just watch the news today. And golly, Jesus is going to come quick. And we see back through all this stuff. In every generation, there's people that are predicting the end of time, right? There's always people who are going to predict, oh, it's going to be on October 31st, you know, 2000 and whatever. And there's, you can go Google, there's people in every wave, every decade. And the one thing they all have in common is they've all been wrong. <laughs> they've all been wrong. And, and, and the Gospels tell us nobody knows the time, nobody knows the day. So why do we spend all this time trying to figure it out? So readiness has to mean something more than that. And these kinds of things... They're, they come from a good place, but what they tend to do is they increase anxiety and they decrease our connection to God and others. And it just seems like that's missing the point. You know, the whole point of getting ready is connection with God and others, and certainly not to increase our anxiety. Now, you know, a little, a little measure that comes with is healthy, but not, not the kind that this tends to produce. So how do we get ready? How do we stay ready according to Jesus' call, according to the sense that no one knows when the time or the place? So it's got to be deeper. It's got to be a bigger subject than just kind of having, you know, tapping our feet and waiting at the doorstep. In order to think about readiness, Jesus makes it pretty easy. And the gospel writers, when Matthew puts this together, he's just, he makes it kind of easy based on the context for us to answer these questions. Right after we're introduced to this whole concept, the disciples are asking, Jesus, when's all this going to happen? When's all this going to shake out? And he begins to tell them a series of things to watch for and way it's going to be. And, and uh, one thing they're looking for that we know now, we have the benefit of history, that the Jerusalem was going to fall. The temple came down in A.D. 70, and it all happened just like Jesus said it would. And then there's these pieces of waiting for Jesus to return at the end of all things, how do we get ready for that? And that's what Advent, the first few Sundays especially of Advent are, getting ready with the end in mind. We're, we've got our eyes on the last days, on the end of all things, and that's what we're basing our readiness on. So how do we do that? Well, in chapter 25, just right after this chapter in Matthew, we have a great series of parables. And I'd like to commend the first one to us. As a, as a picture of readiness, of what it may look like. You kind of get us a clue, you get us in on this waiting, on this journeying where we are readying our hearts. We're being ready for the return of Christ in the, where we are today. And this is the parable of the 10 bridesmaids. And you'll remember it. I remember um, when the first church that we served out of seminary is a little church called Elmwood West in Abilene. It's on Pioneer Drive. And if you're ever driving by down Pioneer, you can look and see uh, on the east side of their sanctuary, much like our Good Shepherd window here, they have this beautiful window that came out of a church in San Angelo that was, that was the church burned in a fire and that well, of course, it burned in a fire. The church burned. And, uh, and anyways, they salvaged that window. 
And so it was a turn of the century, turn of the 19th century windows, gorgeous window. And the artwork was one of these bridesmaids and she had her lamp and the little inscription was the King James from this passage, be ye also ready, be ye also ready. So every week when I would stand in the pulpit, I was looking at that window, be ye also ready. And it always brought just this kind of sense of reverence and awe. And I remember, okay, this is the, we, we are standing before a holy God. This is good stuff. We should be ready. And so this story of the 10 bridesmaids, they, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is going to be like these 10 bridesmaids. They took their lamps and they're waiting to meet the bridegroom. And in that culture, you know, weddings are very different than they are now. They would kind of get married in the middle of the night. It would be this ongoing ceremony, this ongoing, and it just went in stages. So the bridegroom would be off somewhere doing whatever he was doing with whatever group. And then people would gather in stages in different times. They would meet different groups. And so the bridesmaids are waiting for their turn to greet the bridegroom so the wedding ceremony can continue. And so they had to be ready. So Jesus tells us in this story, five of them were foolish and five of them were wise. And the foolish, they took their lamps, but they didn't take any oil with them. And the wise ones, they took their lamps, but they also took a flask of oil. And so uh, the bridegroom was delayed, as he tended to be in those days. And so they all became drowsy. They all got tired, and they all went to sleep. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom, right? we got to get this show on the road. Come out and meet the bridegroom as you're prepared to do. And all those bridesmaids, they rose, and they trimmed their lamps. They got ready. And the foolish said to the wise, oh, no. We're about out of oil. Will you loan us some of your oil so we can have light too? And the wise ones said, no, uh, there won't be enough for us and for you. So why don't you go to town and buy some oil for yourselves? And of course, while they were gone, the bridegroom returns. And so they miss out on the greeting and they come back late and they try to get in and the uh, they try to come in and, and say, Lord, open to us, but... He answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you don't know the day nor the hour. So again, it's about being ready. So what was it about the lamps? What was it about the oil, the extra oil that the wise bridesmaids brought with them that allowed them to be ready? Because the great thing is they are ready. You think about how they're waiting. They're ready early and they're ready late. And they're not anxious. And how do we know they're not anxious? Because they went to sleep. All of them went to sleep. The five foolish ones went to sleep and the five wise ones went to sleep. Everybody went to sleep. But there was enough oil. The wise ones brought along enough oil. And so throughout Christian history, there have been a lot of speculation. Well, what is the oil in the lamp? You know, well, the oil is good work. So the oil is faith. And those are great exercises, some beautiful sermons from the history about those things. But I think it misses the point just a little bit and that the point is they were wise and they were ready. So something about being ready involves wisdom. And it kind of reminds us of Proverbs and this wisdom tradition of the wise and the foolish women who were the ones that were waiting. And so it kind of harks back to that. And I think that's what we're meant to see is that the wise brides, bridesmaids were prepared. You know, they were, they were ready for anything. They had spent time getting ready. And so when the time came, it was no big deal. And so it reflects, wisdom reflects more of a lifetime of readiness 
than simply a moment of readiness. You know, we got to be ready. We got to be standing by the door. We got to be, you know, it's this, this real anxious thing. But wisdom just says, hey, I'm ready anytime. It's a way of life. I'll be ready whether it's Tuesday or Friday or morning or evening or whatever. The way of life speaks for itself. It's not just about this one moment in time, but of course, our whole lives are in view at the return of the good king. Thinking about wisdom got me thinking about the fear of the Lord because Proverbs teaches us that the beginning of wisdom is, in fact, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We want to know how to find wisdom. We have to start with the fear of the Lord, wisdom in the sense that we mean as Christians. It begins with the fear of the Lord. And Advent season is a great time to talk about the fear of the Lord because there are all these cosmic things that we're asked to remember, all these things that really make us stand in awe and open our eyes and open our ears and say, wow, this is happening. And fear of the Lord is a really good thing. In fact, it's a gift. It's not something we manufacture on our own. It's not terror. It's not the kind of fear that would make us afraid. It's a kind of fear that makes us realize that we're in the right place. It's a gift that makes us realize we cannot save ourselves, we cannot rescue ourselves, and for that, we are dependent on a Savior. And so it readies our hearts for the coming of Jesus today and the coming of Jesus tomorrow and the coming of Jesus at the end of all things, whenever that is. So as I thought about Advent readiness and wisdom and fear of the Lord, I thought, you know, this is a whole life. Being ready for the coming of Jesus is about our whole lives being ordered to the person and the work of Jesus. So what does that look like? And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, I think we get, I can fit these for the purposes of this sermon into the categories of the theological virtues, faith, hope, and love. So if you'll permit me, I'm just going to walk through faith, hope, and love, and maybe what this looks like in the sense of Advent readiness. First, faith. Faith is the thing that, this is where the fear of the Lord really helps us, is it, it reminds us that we must believe, and that believing that faith itself is a gift, and that it's also something that can grow. It's faith in a powerful God who saves us, who saves his people that he loves. It's, it's faith in a God who has not forgotten his people. Advent is a great time for children. It's a great time for children to learn the scriptures and to learn the stories. And we go through them in worship services. We go through them in reading. Uh, I really encourage you to do this with your kids, with your grandkids. Heck, just wherever you are, even if you don't have kids around, it's these stories that, that awaken our imagination again to the beautiful and cosmic things that have happened on our behalf and that will happen on our behalf. It's a magical season. I think about even in this context in chapter 24 of Matthew, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to another. When else do you hear about angels? When else do you hear about the trumpet sounding and, and the angels being busy and we get to meet Gabriel, we get to meet these shepherds out in the field, and there's all these great images of readiness that they're announcing that something great is happening, that there is a great God who's coming to save his people, and we celebrate being ready for that. So reading scripture is the thing that's connected to faith for me. Uh, it's just a way of hearing these stories again, of listening to the prophets, reminding us to wake up, reminding us to take our swords, and if that's going to be like at the end, we'll, we'll make them into 
pruning hooks and into plowshares now for doing the work of the kingdom of God. Faith is the thing that helps us see the end. It helps us continue right now with the end in mind, to see heaven, to see the kingdom of God, the things as they should be, to focus on the goodness of Christ's return and how good of a world that God has created and is creating for those is preparing, uh, as Jesus said, a, a place for those who love God. And so it's, it's focusing on the end. What, what should things be like? What was God's original intent? And what will it be like when we're all uh, with Christ in, in that state at the end of all things? Uh, what is that going to be like? It's a great time to imagine. What does it mean for the ox you know, to lie down, uh, the lion and the lamb to be together where the snakes won't bother us anymore, where there won't be any more weeping and there won't be any more sorrow and we won't need lamps anymore because the light will come from God and there will be this beautiful city. Uh, what merit is there in engaging the imagination in that way? And again, children are the best ones at this uh, in helping us kind of remember and wake up and be ready. The second thing is hope. I thought of hope when I was reading in chapter 24. All these things are going to happen. It's going to get really hard, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who hangs on until the end will be saved. That's hope. That's hope. Hope, that great metaphor in Scripture for hope, is the anchor of the soul, right? It's that thing which we fasten our anchor to that, that helps us stay grounded and helps us endure when things get hard. And it's not like in life there are, Things get hard. I mean, things are always hard. It's life. Things are hard every day and uh, certainly harder at different times. But we know that we are waiting right now in the dark. That is the governing metaphor. That's what Advent's all about is realizing that we live in the dark, but we're waiting for the light to come. So we know how things are going to be at the end and we wait for those things to come. We look for them and we face the darkness. Uh, one of my favorite theologians and preachers, is retired, and she's a great writer, Fleming Rutledge, and has actually written a book on Advent. And in her very Eastern uh, quippy humor, she said this year, she said, you know, Advent is not for sissies. <laughs> and, and, and she meant that we need to look at the hard stories. We need, to, we need to face the difficult things and because they're all around us. And so those with great hope learn how to face the darkness. We learn how to be present in the midst of suffering in a way that brings this light into dark places. And the way we do that is through presence and through prayer. So faith and Scripture go together. Hope and prayer go together. This is where we learn to sit with the uncomfortable pain and to sit in the silence and wait for Jesus to come. We cry out, right? Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then finally, love. And love is so critical, and, and in the context, again, of Matthew's of chapter 24 here, in verse 12, Jesus warns us that the love of many will grow cold. Is that not true? The love of many people will grow cold. That's the opposite of love. It's not hate. It's just cold love. You know, it's, it's, we, have, we have good love, we have warm love, and then we have cold love. And the love of many people, when times get hard, will grow cold. People will check out. People will withdraw. People will take isolation and run away. Uh, we, we move away from one another. We withdraw from difficult circumstances, all those things. We don't engage 
with love. The love of many will grow cold. And we definitely see that. We know what that's like. We know what that feels like for our own love to grow cold. I know what that's like. This is why a way of life that is grounded in love is such a miracle. It's a true miracle. The everyday loving work is a miracle. Where scripture and faith go together and prayer and hope go together, I think that love and what we might call works of mercy go together. This is the piece of Advent where we find ourselves serving in those dark places. We go find the hard places and we work there. Uh, One of the ways I was thinking about this is that we love is where in the season of Advent, we learn to work for what we're waiting for. We work for what we're waiting for. If it's worth waiting for, then it must be worth working for as well. If heaven is worth waiting for, then heaven is worth working for now. We've identified through faith what is out of sorts, and we've been able to, through hope, to endure in the midst of what is out of sorts. And love is the place where we encourage one another to keep going and to keep working to that end and to keep loving because that is what is so absolutely difficult. So I think, you know, at the end of the day, readiness looks a lot like encouragement. Readiness looks a lot like uh, reminding one another why we're in this in the first place. And that's what the prophets are doing. That's what these stories do for us. They remind us that this way of life is worth it because we believe in a God who has not forgotten his people. He has come to rescue us. He is coming today to rescue us, and he will come at the end of all things to rescue and redeem us. And so we wait for him. We work alongside the Holy Spirit, and we do all of these things with endurance, with hope. And so if you join me, uh, I'd like to pray for us that the Holy Spirit would fill our lamps, fill our extra flasks with oil, that we would be ready for this particular season of the coming of Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would fill us to overflowing with your goodness, that you would fill our lamps and our extra flasks with your goodness, with your salvation, with your healing, with your hope, that you would speak to us through Scripture, that you would remind us that when we pray, we're not alone, that we're waiting with you, and that as we work in the places where we see that things are not as they should be, would you encourage us and give us the gift of friendship and the joy in encouraging one another, that we might keep going in a joyful way to bring light into these dark places. We ask all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.